The presenting sponsor for this episode of the Autism Dad podcast is Mightier. Okay, so I want to take a minute and talk about Mightier. Mightier is a clinically proven mobile gaming app which was developed at Boston Children's Hospital. It's already helped more than 100,000 kids, including my crew here at home. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I'm very big into anything that empowers parents, and that's one of the things that's so great about Mightier. It empowers both parents and kids, and it's all done through play. So how does it work? Great question. Kids play on a tablet or a phone while wearing a heart rate monitor, and Mightier incorporates breathing exercises and other proven calming techniques as part of the game. Kids get to see when it's time to cool down, and they learn how to do it themselves, and parents get to track their progress. With time, those calming skills become muscle memory. All it takes is 15 minutes a day, three days a week, and 87% of parents see improvement inside of 90 days. That's amazing. So check out Mightier.com to learn more about the science behind Mightier and how it works. That's M-I-G-H-T-I-E-R.com and use the promo code the Autism Dad to save 10%. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski, and I have a really interesting show for you guys today. Uh, this intro is going to be a little bit longer because the show itself is a little bit shorter, so it'll, it'll bounce out. But I wanted to give some background before I get into this interview. At the end of April, I went to my very first autism conference ever, and I've been doing this a long time, and I've been invited a million times, and I just have always said no for, I don't know, a million stupid reasons, but uh, I went this time. And one of the things that I got to do while I was down there was tour a facility, a residential facility for autistic kids. And like, I gotta be honest, like it it was a really emotional experience for me because if you followed my journey, you know, since the beginning, you know, my oldest had a lot of very severe behavioral issues. And there was a, there was a point in time where we were, we were looking for residential placement. It's really hard to talk about because uh, I just, I remember how helpless and powerless and how much of a failure I felt like in those moments. And I know there's a lot of parents out there who are going through something similar, who are dealing with behaviors that are so extreme that they can't safely be dealt with inside of the home. And I know what it feels like to have to decide that residential care is the best option. And so as I'm walking through this facility, I'm, I'm heartbroken because there's so many kids that need this type of help. But at the same time, I felt it it felt good in the sense that there's help out there for kids who need it. You know, uh, one of the reasons why it didn't work out for my son when we needed to place him was because there, there really wasn't anything available. And, uh, there really isn't a lot in the United States for, for this particular kind of situation. And so when Springbrook Autism Behavioral Health invited me down to the, to the conference, uh, I, I decided to go ahead and do it be, because there was part of, part of it was that I really needed to do that to grow personally and professionally and, and all that. But, but on the other end of it, I, I remembered what it was like. I wanted to be able to help parents find a path if this is the direction that they need to go in on their journey right now. So uh, I don't know if any of that made sense, but I really, really struggled a little bit with that part of the, of the conference when I when I toured that facility because it just, it brought back so many memories and it was, uh, it was a rewarding, heartbreaking experience that I hope 
no one ever needs to experience. But should you need that kind of help for your family, I'm so grateful that someplace like Springbrook is available for our kids and our families. So I was able to sit down, we'll just move on, but it, it, was, a, it was a roller coaster for me. Um, I was able to sit down with Mike Rowley, who is the administrator of the facility, and just kind of talk to him about why he does what he does, how everything got started, what, how everything works, what's the point of it, like, you know, messages to parents who might be struggling with this type of thing. Uh, and we just have a really honest conversation. Uh, I just want to say thank you, Mike, for taking the time to come on the show. Could you just take a minute and give us a little bit about your background and who you are and, and kind of what you do at Springbrook? Sure. Uh, my name is Mike Rowley. I'm the administrator at uh, Springbrook Autism Behavioral Health. Um, I oversee all of the, um, I guess, all the operations at the facility. Um, I'm, a, I'm a social worker by background um, and uh, had uh, started in therapy. And, and um, I, back in Utah, I had made some transitions in some administrative work and had done some uh, autism uh, treatment out in West, and uh, about ten years ago, I came here to South Carolina, and um, in February of thirteen, we opened up our our first autism program. So uh, it started out as one unit, and then continued to grow. Is the need and demand for those services are great. Uh, looking at the evidence based research and trying to fit the right components in in the in the facility to make sure we can meet the needs of the kids and the families and. Uh, make sure we're seeing them make progress and, and have an enhanced quality of life and, and the things that they do. What, what got you, I guess, sometimes people are inspired to work. Uh, like I'm doing this because I have three autistic kids. Sure. And, and that was sort of my whatever push into mm -hmm. this type of thing. Was there, was there something like that for you or what, what brought you into the field of autism? Well, um, I, I guess there's two things. One, when I was, I, I come out of a family of, of social workers, and so we've always been very community-based. Uh, when I was younger, we used to go in and volunteer time at a, um, what they called then a, a local care center. Had a lot of uh, uh, adults and, and some kids with some disabilities, so I had some uh, exposure to that early on. Um, and, uh, gosh, it was probably in 2000, um, um, the man I worked for at the time I was running a facility, um, he asked me to look into doing some more things for autism. Uh, his name was Bill Vickers, and he uh, set me aside and uh, said, I, you know, I'm hearing a lot of, of needs, unmet needs in our communities. And, and so he had us take a peek at that. And so the team I had then, we started to attend all kinds of conferences and educate ourselves a little more in the world of autism. And um opened that program up and it uh, just kind of grew and grew and grew and uh you know really fell in love with um the kids we were treating so um and just had great experiences there and it just have kind of blossomed into what i'm doing now so it's uh wasn't where i thought my career path would go but it uh, really is um gosh kind of a uh second love of my life, I guess, <laughs> outside of my wife of, of, uh, being able to work with those kids. And, and over the years, all of my, I have six kids and, um, four of them have already coming up through school. They all worked in the, in special needs classrooms and 
had the opportunity to to be pretty heavily involved in that and uh, become and do RBTs themselves. And so it's kind of turned into a uh, a family commitment and something that we've all really grown into love and do. So. I'm, I'm the oldest of six kids. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so you know that there's never a dull moment. There's never so. a dull moment, no. <laughs> and I didn't appreciate it when I was little. When I was younger, it was, it was, it was a frustrating thing for me because there were so many of us. But as an adult, uh, I really appreciate having a large family and uh, mm-hmm. having that built-in support no matter what, you know, so that's really cool. Um, I toured the facility yesterday. I've never, I've never been to a place like that before. Uh, how does it feel to be able to provide that resource for parents? Because um, when I was talking with Dr. Clark yesterday, I mentioned that my oldest is 22, and there was a period of time in his younger years that we needed a facility like that because mm-hmm. it was we had reached a point where it wasn't safe for him to be at home and uh other his you know our, our other kids were paying a price you know it just disrupting the whole family there was going to be a complete collapse it felt like sure and and there was nothing that we could we could send our kids to and then there's like that emotional hurdle like as a dad like I don't want to send, I don't want to send them anywhere. Cause I right. feel like it's my job. I, I should be doing better. I should just be stronger or smarter or whatever. But, uh, you're providing that resource, uh, for families. And I just wondered like, how does that feel? You know, it, it is, it's, it's, it's very, very ful- fulfilling. I mean, that's why I think I've pursued it. And, um, I, I originally became a social worker cause I wanted to help people who needed it. And uh, I think the thing that's really um, att- attracted me to autism is you look at how many kids are, and families are experiencing it. Um, you know, one in 54, I think, is the new number I just recently saw. It was 58, and then I saw 54, 54 just recently. 44, I thought now. Maybe is it 44 now? I think it might be 44. So, so you, you take that number, one in 44, and if you flip that diagnosis around and turn it into cancer, and we're having one in 44 kids born with cancer, we have cancer centers like we have Starbucks. Yeah. And, but that's the need out there. And not all of them need a level of care right. that, that we're providing. In fact, very few, um, but all of them need care. And, um, and families are desperate for it. And so I think that's when we talk about being, you know, very fulfilling, I think that's probably a, a catchphrase on, you know, anyone that works with people. But um, I don't know. There, there's, there's just a different level of, um, emotional connection knowing that you're improving quality of life for kids and for parents because i mean they call it the broad spectrum for a reason right um there's you've seen one child with autism you've seen one child with autism and everybody's going to be different and um for some of our kids that are on the lower end of that spectrum we can help them learn to brush their teeth and do some more adls and some communication the, the quality of life for that family is drastically drastically changed. improved drastically changed um and you have other kids in on other units that may have iqs very very high but are struggling with a lot of stimulation and a lot of anxiety sensory stuff sensory stuff and um you know we can if we can get them to develop some of those coping skills and again not have the meltdowns and have them learn to communicate and and uh um, help them through some of those things i mean again it's all about quality of life. Best phone call I think we I, we've ever gotten um, 
We get a lot, um, but it's one that sticks out to me is we had a, a mother that had a son discharge. Um, he discharged him from a, another state, um, not here in South Carolina, but uh, she called in tears, and we're like, oh, no, what's, what's happened? And uh, she just I just want to let you know that I just had a bike ride with my son I thought I'd never have again. And that's quality of life, right? I yeah. Mean, those are things that you... Poor memories. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the things that you think that you... I've, I've lost that with my child. I won't have a chance to do that. Um, and uh, to have those moments back again. I mean, like I say, this is that strong emotional connection to that's know that it's not... really good. Yeah, it, it, you're... It, like I say, you're, you're changing family systems, and, and you know that because you have three kids and... And there can be a domino effect on how it affects everybody. One and any in any family that can be that way. But. Yeah, and it's and it is there is there is an emotional hurdle because uh, I remember a therapist used to tell us like he need he needed to be placed to get the help that he needed that we couldn't give him at home, but that if we if we didn't, then we risked the collapse of the entire family. Right, and when they're when they're telling you to, to to focus on the needs of the many or the needs of the few, that's really hard to take when it's one of your kids. Oh yeah, you know. And uh, I I was when I was walking through the facility yesterday, I had a really hard time emotionally because it it took me back mm-hmm. to where my oldest was all those years ago, and you see these kids that are just, I mean they're they're happy. I think for the most part, but they struggle mm-hmm. with everyday life things that most of us take for granted. Right. And I saw there was, there was one kid that reminded me of my youngest and uh, I had a really hard time. Uh, we kind of stopped and we were, we were talking with them for a little bit and uh, he was telling us about snacks that were late or he thought they were late or something. Yeah, sure. And that's, that's totally my youngest. Yeah. <laughs> that's totally my youngest on that schedule and everything. And it, and it was just, it's, it's hard to see the kids that need that kind of help, but it's good to know that they're in a place where they can get it. Yeah. That's it, So it's kind of like a mixed, it was kind of an emotional roller coaster for me. Right. No, for sure. And, and it's, I mean, I've always said kids belong at home, but if they can't, and, and really that they can, then there's a nice, it's good to have a place where they can come short term and then let's get them back in the home again. And uh, again, so they can experience a different quality of life, a higher quality of life is what we always hope for. So, And uh, when I was talking with Dr. Clark yesterday, um, we were talking about sort of the process and, and the goal is it's not long-term like permanent placement. Right. It's, it, it sort of serves a dual purpose, right? Like you, they go through uh, the the twenty eight day intake, yeah. So then you actually have a better idea of what's actually going on, so that you can identify if there's comorbid things that are mm-hmm. at play, or if it's even autism at all. Because right. a lot of things can mimic right. that, whether Absolutely. it's medication related or what kind of changes need to be made. Um, I've only experienced with my young, with my oldest, like five days at a facility or something where they try to tweak his meds or they try and unravel all these things that you just can't do in five days. And, uh, I thought that was, I was really impressed with that that amount of time. All right, real quick break. Um, starting something new. I'm going to start dropping trailers for podcasts that I'm really a big fan of. And I got a couple of friends named Brian and Sean. They have a podcast called just two dads. They're absolutely hilarious. Once you guys start listening to them, you're never going to want to stop. So you have been warned. Here's a trailer. Enjoy. Make sure you guys check them out. 
Hi, I'm Sean Francis. And I'm Brian Altunian. And, and together, we are. We are. Just, just two, two dads. dads. <laughs> That's just, that doesn't, I don't, we're not professionals, obviously. We know yeah, where we're going. This is real as it gets. Anyway, we are Just Two Dads, and we have a weekly podcast, Anywhere You Get podcast, where we talk about different issues that affect the special needs community, especially when it comes to raising a child and from a dad's perspective. Look at you're watching this stopwatch. You want to make sure that we get this all in in 30 seconds. You can catch us That's live right. every week on Facebook, or you can catch us on our YouTube channel under We Are Just Two Dads, or podcasts or wherever you get podcasts. Hope that you'll catch us weekly on Just Two Dads. See you then. Yeah, when we, when we looked at that... Um, because we we were building this facility and and uh, we were really trying to put it together. Because and we looked at what we we could expect for the average length of stay, and uh, the average length of stay for a child on the spectrum in a neurotypical acute program is about 120 days, and uh, they're not always getting better. They're more just aging out of that program, and, and they they use the term they're they're at baseline. This is just how their behaviors are, and we're, we can't impact them. We end up discharging them. Um, but on facilities that were acute units that were put together just for kids on the spectrum, um, that dropped to about 35 days. And we thought, gosh, in 35 days, 28 to 35 days, we could do a lot of work with the kids. And, uh, and we thought we could use, we, we could do a complete speech workup, complete occupational therapy, special education, get behavior plans written. And so, and to really, and, 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 and get these assessments done with recommendations for continued care. Because you know, one of the biggest challenges sometimes parents face is, is qualifying for services because they, they can't get the assessment done. It's trying to get good assessment work done so they can qualify for whatever their insurance or the Medicaid program or whatever the waiver program they might be involved in. And so being able to put something like that together for them Really, we thought that we can do so much more than just stabilize a behavior, that we can give the family a roadmap moving forward, you know, kind of a blueprint is what we call it, to help them see where they, where, where they need to go. Uh, but really a blueprint roadmap on how you should continue to move forward and what you need to do to meet your child's needs. And those are things you could take into an IEP meeting and say, I know that you only are saying my child qualifies for this, but here's a, a three-inch binder of all the things my child qualifies for, and we need to figure out how to get that done. Or, again, talking to local insurances or the waiver programs, getting them into the right programs because there's, there's still too much cookie-cutter type of interventions. And yeah. in order to give that kind of, you know, that, that kind of workup, with 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 that many that many interventions in it or that many assessments in it uh, is is really a, we th we hope it's an invaluable toolkit to parents as they continue to try to treat their kids. And then it, and again at the end of that twenty eight days, the goal is to get them um, back with their their parents, back into their homes, back into their communities, uh, and give them that a next chance at you know not only are their, their meds a little more stabilized because they have great doctors that are working with them, but have a toolkit to go out and help. And it, and it gives the, it gives the parents some recoup time. Like they can build themselves back up. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then it gives those kids a, a chance to sort of learn some skills for themselves mm -hmm. to better cope with everyday life. Yep. And, and then they can come back together in a situation that's better than 
what it was when they left. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. Why is there not more of these places? Um, it, 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 well, one, I guess it's just not easy. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think sometimes we lack providers and, mm. um, um, I, I think it's outside of people's comfort zones, right? I mean, people, yeah, people, I see that. people in mental health and in behavioral health, um, they, they kind of get used to doing what they're doing, I guess. And they get into a pattern of what they're doing. And so you see these behavioral health companies that are used to the neurotypical population while missing a really strong need um but if you don't know what you're doing and you don't really are aren't if it it, it's again it's outside your comfort zone and to to get out of your comfort zone you're really going to have to roll up your sleeves and understand how to meet the needs because you can't just put a child in a facility and let them sit and say oh yeah we treat autism um at least you shouldn't um, without having all the evidence-based research without going in and, and there's some risk to it. I mean, because it's, there's not many people doing it. Um, it's hard to point to it and say, well, this is something that's going to be successful, but we're, we're very successful with it and, and feel like we have really good outcomes with the kids. And, um, but you do have to get dedicated and know the interventions and know that you have to have, um, BCBAs as part of your program. You know that you have to have speech as part of your program and occupational therapy, and you're going to have to do everything you can do from a special education standpoint. And so um, it is a little more difficult to do. Um, yeah, worth it. And, and there's still funding. I mean, there's lots of advocacy work to do. Uh, when you add all those components and then we, we increase our, our general, our direct care staffing, and, you know, we're trying to help them get um, different training to make sure they're up to speed on the kids they're working with and they can read behavior plans and do all those things. And so we have a, a much, it's, it's, there's a higher cost as you add all those people into that mix. And, and states need to understand that, you know, the, the, that's what it's going to take. And um, sometimes it just doesn't get the, like I say, lots of advocacy to continue to, to funnel money to those kids and make sure it's being used in the right ways and make sure that, the facilities that say they're doing it are doing it the right way and doing it in a way that produces good outcomes. But um, I think, that, you know, it's, it's trying to be that advocacy is part of the reason we do Converge is to continue to raise awareness, to also provide good training. But, you know, we need, as, as a facility that treats, we need parents just like parents, you know, at times will maybe need us. But we all need to work together to be a stronger voice to try to help um, get the finances needed. So. And my last question is, where do you want to see, you, you guys have 73, is it 73 beds now? So we have uh, 73 residential beds, and those okay. are a little longer term okay. uh, for kids that are really, really struggling. And then we have 18 um, acute beds. Okay. Where do you want to see, what do you want to see um, Springbrook grow into, like is, is going forward? Yeah, well. I guess what I would would really hope for um, is that we can get into a continuum of care. Um, 
I, I'm not comparing us to the Mayo Clinic when I say this, but this is the model I would like to see it grow to as we go. Is in the past, if you, if you wanted to go to the Mayo Clinic, there was only one Mayo Clinic, and that's that's the only place you could get into, and it was very difficult to get into. Um, but they realized that demand was there and the need was there, and and the more they could um, kind of spread that out, the greater knowledge base they had in the field of medicine and the, and the things that they were treating. And I think that, that Springbrook, what I'd really like to see Springbrook do is put together regional centers um, across the United States that kids can get into and families can easily get to. Uh, we do have kids from all over the United States. And I know, I heard like Alaska even? Like sure, yeah. We have, yeah. We have a couple of people from Alaska here in our conference today. But that's very difficult. And, uh, you know, the hope is, is, but we have them from a majority of the states have referred in. Um, but it's really hard. It's hard enough to put your child in a facility. It's even harder to say, I can't this, drive to that facility. Yeah, or you're separated by. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I think, the one place that we had looked at was in Cle- was in the Cleveland area, uh, which is about an hour north of where I'm at, mm-hmm. Ohio. And that felt like forever. Sure. Like, that's too far of a drive. Like, if something happens, we need right. to be there like now. I can't imagine being in Alaska and knowing my kid is in South Carolina. Right. I mean, that's not an easy, I mean, it's a 14 hour flight from Ohio right. to here, which is crazy because it's a 10 hour drive. But uh, I'm glad, I'm glad to know that there's help out there for the kids that need it. It's it's heartbreaking to know that the kids need it. Right. But I'm glad to know that that it's available. Sure. You know, and that's that was sort of my takeaway from yesterday was just, um, there's there's help for parents who maybe don't realize probably don't realize that it's there. Yeah. And you know, my hope is that if there's somebody out there who needs this type of intervention, this type of help for their their child, now you know that there is a place that you can do that. Right. You know, and uh, and I think that knowledge is enough to maybe inspire some hope that look, we can, we can start looking into this and and we can start, it's a path forward. Sure. You know, and when you're spinning your wheels, desperate, not knowing how you're going to survive the next day, right. Having something like that as a light at the end of the tunnel is a very powerful thing. So uh, I was, I was impressed with, with what I saw and uh, the kids were amazing. They really are. And, and, uh, it was a good experience. Yeah, our, our the kids are amazing, and the, the staff, staff. T- particularly our frontline staff. I mean, they 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 do great work, and uh, from our professional and, and clinical support that come in, you know, we we try to bring in the best staff we can and recruit from around the country to try to find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good group of people that do it, really it seemed it seemed really like good that. work. So. We saw some interventions that were taking place that were. Uh, kind of off to the side that the, they didn't know that we were there. Mm-hmm. And that's always interesting because you don't know. Yeah. It's what they do when you're not watching. Right. But, uh, it's how I would work with my kid, you know, like just patient and kind. And, uh, it just was, it was, it was an, it was a very emotional, it was an emotional roller coaster for me yesterday, but I'm glad that you guys exist and that you're helping kids and hopefully we can uh, spread the words so that people know that there are resources out there. If you are in a position where you need 
this type of intervention. Yeah, we hope that we hope that no parent has to. Yeah, but again, in the in, in the cases that it does, that there, there needs that to be spot. there needs to be a place. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you. Appreciate your advocacy and and the things you're doing for the autism community. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to know. I'm glad to know that there's a place. Uh, I get asked about stuff like this all the time, and I'm like, I, I have no idea. In fact, I was just talking on my my. Uh, I have a subreddit. Uh, it's like 9,000 families and someone was just talking about looking for a place. And I was like, you're not going to believe it. I just toured, <laughs> I just toured this place yesterday and, uh, I'll send, I'll send, I'll send them a link. And so there's people looking and they just have no idea. Yeah. So hopefully we can provide them with some knowledge and see what happens. Oh, we appreciate that. And, uh, again, appreciate the, the work you do. So, well, thank you. You have a great day. You too. Before I close things out today, I want to say I want to say a couple of things, actually. First of all, thank you, Mike, for, for coming on the show and talking to us about Springbrook and everything that you do and your background and your family and, and all of that stuff. Thank you for having an honest conversation about the process and what it means and how it works and, and all of that stuff. There are so many families out there who are in need of this type of service for their child and don't know where to go because it's not widely available. There is an onslaught of emotions that uh, become roadblocks for things like this. I remember feeling guilt and shame and fear. And, you know, I mentioned before, like I felt like a failure as a parent and, and just all of these things that, uh, that played a role in influencing one of the most difficult decisions that I've ever had to make in my life. And thankfully, my, my oldest is doing amazing now. I mean, we no longer need anything like this. But there's a lot of families out there who do. And my hope is that by having this difficult conversation, uh, it connects with someone who needs to hear it. So again, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Springbrook, for inviting me down. Uh, I really appreciate the experience. I, I look forward to uh, returning next year. All of Springbrook's information will be in the show notes below should anybody need to reach out and contact them as well. So uh, as for me, you can find me at theautismdad.com. All my social links are at the top of the page. Also, I have uh, a support forum for autism parents. It's got 9,500 families in it right now. And I also opened up a discussion forum for the podcast because people were wanting to know how they can leave comments and feedback and stuff like that. And so I created a place for you to have a conversation about this episode and you know previous episodes and future episodes. You can share your opinions and thoughts on topics and guests and all that kind of stuff, you know, so I appreciate your feedback. So there'll be links to that at my blog as well. And also in the show notes below, so you guys can uh, to check that out. So I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Uh, be smart, make good choices, right? Right. Make good choices. That's what I always tell my kids anyways. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next Monday. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.